0: Let's give another amen for that. That's that's a blessing. Thank you all very much. Praise the Lord. Go to John chapter (laughs) 6. John chapter 6. And uh hold Ephesians 1, if you would please, the book of Ephesians chapter 1. I mentioned uh, <clears throat> and many of you understand this, uh, but this was the incident of Jesus at the woman at the well. Uh, talking to the woman at the well was early in his public ministry. I, I don't know. There are people that try to get real specific on the time frame and how accurate they are. I don't know. It really doesn't matter that much, except there, he, he is very early in his public ministry. And um, after the, uh, he deals with the woman at the well in chapter 4, then uh, he goes from Samaria to Galilee goes into Galilee <clears throat> and uh, there he went and testified and and uh, did his work and taught did signs and wonders and miracles Jesus is at work we talked about Jesus at work at the well well he's at work everywhere he, he goes And the end of chapter four is like this, verse 54. This again is the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. And then in chapter five, there was a feast in Jerusalem. So Jesus goes to Jerusalem. And chapter five has to do with Jesus in Jerusalem and being opposed and persecuted by the Jews. As a matter of fact, even at this early stage, in chapter five, they sought to kill him, and so what he is doing is he is explaining. <laughs> he is explaining who he is. Chapter five is a powerful, powerful chapter, but he is explaining who he is and his relationship uh, to the Father, and uh, it, it's it's just a dynamic. It's it's about the deity of Jesus Christ, is what it is, and of course that infuriated the Jews. Infuriated them. They despised the idea, thought it was blasphemy, and that's why they sought to kill him. You come down to the end of chapter 5, and, and uh, he presents his argument. And then in uh, chapter 6, he starts off, and it, the chapter starts off and says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him, and he did miracles and uh, they saw his miracles and he went up into a mountain and there he sat with his disciples and he began to speak and that's when uh, we enter into the part about the feeding of the five thousand so <clears throat> Jesus is there long and the disciples think that it's probably be a good idea to send them away and Jesus is not willing to send them, send them away you know he says why don't you go and buy bread well they said we've only got this much money and that wouldn't even begin to take care of this crowd. And so Andrew brings the lad, you know, the story, brings the lad, five loaves, two fishes. Jesus blesses them, little as much when God is in it, put it in Jesus' hands, and there's no telling what's going to happen. And so out of that then, Jesus feeds the 5,000. How many baskets left over? 12 baskets left over. Amazing. It's a great story. I love to preach the whole thing. But I'm not going to preach the entire we're going to be in chapter 6, God willing, through Friday night, tonight, tomorrow night, and Friday night. But uh, what we're going to look at has to do with after the 5,000 are fed. Now, I want to remind you of of something about uh, Jesus, and I've mentioned this probably two or three or seven times. I don't know how many times already, but uh, Jesus knew people. So you and I might have been there, and... The 5,000 have been fed, multitudes are coming, multitudes are coming, they heard that, and, and they press upon him, as, as a matter of fact, he kind of escapes out of their presence, goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, over on the eastern side there, and there are people there, and it's an incredible story about, there's a lot, I, I don't want to start going into it, it'll just take up too much time, but they follow, and then he goes back up to Beth, Beth, Bethesda. And uh, people are there by the multitudes and such as that. And so it's just going on and on. The the multitudes are, are there in these great numbers. But as we look at the numbers, we might be blessed and be impressed. Can I tell you this and not sound wrong? He wasn't impressed. People would say, isn't this amazing? Here's the Jesus of Nazareth. He's doing these miracles. And look all the people that have come to be with him. But... He said, I know why you're here. You like the bread. You like the bread. Now, if you and I make that statement at such a time, we're passing judgment. We don't know up from down about the motives of people and what's in them. But Jesus knew all men, and he knew what was in them, and he knew this is not a thirst for righteousness. This is not a thirst for the Messiah. This is not a thirst for my lordship, this is not a thirst to be my disciples. They they like the bread. They like the miracles. That's why they came. Now, if I said that and passed judgment on it, take it or leave it. But he knew. What were all those ameners, guests, or what? (laughs) I said, if I make that evaluation, take it or leave it. But when Jesus said it, he knew. Amen. He absolutely knew. See. So we're going to start here in chapter number six, all the way down to verse number 28. So let's stand together for the reading of the word. I'm going to try to read down through verse 50. And what I, I, I'm going to read it, but I'm going to try to keep from interrupting myself and save the time for preaching. But oh my, this is such an, a wonderful account. Look in verse number 28. And so the 5,000 have been fed. They're moving on. He has moved from the original uh, place to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and now he's up uh, back towards Capernaum and in that area. And in verse 28, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus told them that he is doing the work of his Father, And uh, so they said, well, what shall we do that uh, uh, that we might work the works of God? Listen, watch this. In verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. And he knew many of them did not believe. Then why were they there? The bread. He said so. All right, so this is the work of God. That ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Here I am interrupting myself, but right there I want to say, What? 5,000 people, well, more than that, 5,000 men alone, were fed with five loaves and two fishes. And you knuckleheads are saying, show us a sign. Well, why do you think all those people are there? Because there have been signs abundant already, and he's just beginning, or at the early stage of his public ministry. (laughs) Unbelief is terrible, isn't it? So they said, "Uh, what sign are you going to give? Verse 31, our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. While well, all they had was just something to sustain them from day to day, I'm going to talk to you about something eternal. And Moses couldn't give that. See, they're arguing with him. They're taking him to task here. And verse 33, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth light unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. That sounds good, what they said, but let's see if it was good. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. He said they believe not. You know why he said that? It was so. (laughs) Why else would he say it? He could only speak the truth. Verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him. See, I told you they were having issues with this, though they were there in attendance. Then the Jews murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They liked the bread, but he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not I, well, I came down from heaven. Is this not Jesus, uh, the son of Joseph, <clears throat> whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets. And they shall be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and are dead. (laughs) This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh. Say what? And the bread that I will give is my flesh. Which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, "How can this man give us his flesh to eat?" I read past the end of my text. I'm going all the way in tomorrow night's sermon. Let's stop right there. I got carried away and meant to stop at verse 50. Put the brakes on. It's over. We're, we're going to. I'm sitting here reading, thinking that's where we're going to be tomorrow night. Okay. So we're going through uh, verse 50 tonight, the Lord willing. Well, actually, we don't have any idea where we're going right now, do we? It looks like. But that's what we're going to do, go through verse 50. Title of the sermon is, Now I Belong to Jesus. <clears throat> now I belong to Jesus. Father, we are <clears throat> most grateful tonight for the privilege, the blessing we have to assemble together again with your people and come into this place, open the Bible together. We're so grateful, oh God, for uh, the inspired and preserved word. Why We'd have no reason to meet here tonight and just sit around with pure speculation and then go home. But we're thankful that as we assemble here, we have this book, The Preserved, Inerrant, Inspired Word of the Living God. We're so grateful for that. Bless our time together. Make it profitable in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <laughs> Chapter three was about Nicodemus. People ask the question, do you think Nicodemus ever was born again? Man, I want to think so, but I don't know for sure. Doesn't leave it very clear. The woman at the well, yes, indeed, she was saved. What a change was made, and there were others that were believers. But not everybody that believed, believed. You'll see tomorrow night, not everybody's called a disciple was really a disciple. I can't wait till tomorrow night. But anyway, we've got to. Right now, there are approximately 7 billion people in the world. Bill Gates says that we should get the world's population somewhere around 4 million. Of course, he knows what's best. Uh, Yeah. But there are nearly 7 billion, maybe a little over, 7 billion people in the world. The world's in a mess. Uh, I've always been troubled when people say, this is a Christian nation. And I understand our heritage. I understand our, our uh, roots in this country in terms of the, how it developed and such as that, I'm very thankful for that. I'm not sure it's ever been an accurate thing to say that it is a Christian nation. Some of the founding fathers, praise the Lord, knew God, feared God. Some of them had an awareness of God, but were no more saved than anything. Some were, some were not. So I I don't know about that. I, I don't think anybody in the past 50 years could with a clear conscience stand and make the argument, this is a Christian country. Christian nations don't slaughter the unborn. And on and on we could go. So uh, we, we are called, as we live in this world, whether it's this nation or anywhere on the globe, we are called pilgrims and strangers and sojourners in this world. Now, I love the book of First Peter. If you read there, the Apostle Peter uses all of these terms and reminds us in no uncertain terms that our citizenship is not here, that we are pilgrims here just passing through. We are strangers here. This is not our home. We are sojourners here. We're just passing through. Whoever wrote the song, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. They did a good job. It may sound hick and hillbilly, but I love it, and it's right on target. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. I was talking to Brother Dale a while ago and talking about my mother. She had dementia. And, uh, her mother lived to be 103, and my mom was in her 90s. died just before she turned would have turned 96. And I remember my mom just saying, I don't want to live to be 100. I want to go home. That's what my mom used to say. I just want to go home. She loved the Lord, knew the Lord, and she just wanted to go home. You know what mom was saying? I don't belong here. Not anymore. I don't fit here. I'm a a traveler here. My journey's done. I want to go home. And and that's that's who we are. Now, I I will say this, that as a believer and a would-be follower and disciple of Jesus Christ, I have a real strong sense of purpose here. And you should, too, as a child of God. If you're saved and you know the Lord, you ought not to struggle with why you are here. We understand from the Word of God that He doesn't exist. A lot of people need to get a handle on this. God doesn't exist to make us more comfortable, richer, uh, famous, or whatever the case might be. We exist for Him, not He for us. See, And a New Testament church is not in existence to make sure all the needs of everybody are met. The New Testament church exists to offer the opportunity to be a part of a body that's functioning to do the work of the gospel and propagate the news that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And so this idea of, I'm going to see what church is best for me, what church will most meet my needs, that's a selfish approach to it. What we ought to do is find out where is there a church that believes that book that wants to do what the Bible says a church is supposed to do, not what culture says a church is supposed to do. So all I meant to say was, if you're saved, we're saved, then we should have a strong sense of purpose. However, I don't have a strong sense of belonging. In fact, the longer I live and the more I try to understand the Bible and follow Jesus Christ, the less I feel like I belong here in this world. And I think that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. I said that's, that's, that's why the Apostle John said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. All sin in the world is lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And uh, if a man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The world passeth away in the lust thereof. And so if we're serious about the Christian life, we, we may should have a strong sense of what our purpose is in being here, but we should not have a sense of belonging here. And I'll tell you what's frustrated. Most of professing Christianity, they want to go to heaven. They sure don't want to go to hell. They want the favor and the blessings of God. But they also want to fit here in this world. Yeah, that's right. And that's trying to go both directions at the same time. Yeah. Because the world and the will of God are not running parallel, they are contrary to one to the other. The Bible says that the world is enmity against God. And so, try to fit in this world and at the same time be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's a contradiction. It's not going to happen. Amen. A strong sense of belonging in this world. No, I don't belong in this world. I say that all the time. Technologies pass me by. Well, Brother Sam, all you got to do is take your, see, put, put your little deal on your computer. I don't have a computer. What? This is the 21st century. So? I don't have a computer. Well, I got my wife a laptop. I gave it away at a church planner's conference. Got her another and What happened to the other Did we ever get another one? Got her a tablet or got her something. She so don't know how to work it. And I don't know how to work it. It's a mess. <laughs> and our phones just about drive us crazy, you know. Stuff like that. I, I don't feel like I belong here. Uh, the longer I go, the more I don't feel like I belong here. Now, I'm not unhappy. It's not like I walk around and say, oh, this. no, I love life. I love my wife. I love our kids. I love our grandkids. I love the great grandkids. I love the people of God. I love the Bible. I love preaching the word of God. I'm enjoying life. But I can just tell you right now, as I look at the condition of the world, I do not have a sense of belonging, but it doesn't mean I don't feel I belong because I do belong to Jesus. I guess this would be to encourage the people of God to consider who we are in relation to Jesus Christ and what is ours. Think about that. If a, here's something that came to me today. If a person is serious about following Jesus and he doesn't feel like he belongs here, What do you think it was like for Jesus to come from heaven to here? See, no matter what your mom and daddy might told you, you weren't an angel before you were born. (laughs) You didn't come here from heaven. We prove that soon enough in our (laughs) lives, don't we? You didn't come here from heaven. You weren't, and then you are. I don't know if that's right. Said right or not, but that's that's reality. But he came willfully, on purpose, from there where the throne and the and the Father's house is, our Father which heart in heaven, is how he taught us to pray, and he came from there to here. And if you and I are trying to be a follower of Jesus, don't we get to the point where we are more and more and more aware that we don't belong in this world. There is a system of thought. That's what the Bible is talking about when it talks about the world. This idea of this thought that rejects the authority of God, rejects the authority of the Bible. And this whole world that would try to function without God and without the authority of God and without the Bible. That's why the world is in a mess. And here we are. And if we don't feel like we belong, can you imagine the humiliation humili- it took for Jesus to come from heaven to here. To do the Father's will. Amazing. When he came here, he could only say who he was. For him, he says another place, if you read the Gospel of John, chapter 8, uh, they're after him because he's claiming to be the Son of God. He's claiming to be equal with God. And Jesus said, well, if I claimed that I wasn't, I'd be a liar like you. <laughs> so not everybody enjoys that kind of stuff like I do, but I, I, I like that. But that's exactly what he said. You know, if I deny who I am, I will lie like the Pharisees were lying, like the Jews were lying, like the elders and the priests were lying. And he, he, all he did is come and declare who he was. <clears throat> and if you look in verse number 34, Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So when Jesus came... He said that he is the bread of life, verse 36. I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. But he said in verse 35, I'm the bread of life. If you come uh, to me, you'll never hunger. If you believe in me, you'll never thirst. In other words, he is saying, I am your Messiah. I am the Savior. I am the Son of God. As the book of John stands for the deity of Jesus Christ, he is basically, basically saying, I am God. Somebody said, I don't know if I like the sound or not. Well, then you should have given up when you read the first verses of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same as in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word, the Word, God expressed, Word is an expression. Jesus, when He came, He is the Father expressed. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld Him. As if the only begotten of the Father, father we beheld His glory. As of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is teaching them who He is, and they are, they are opposing it. They are wanting to kill him. They are accusing him of blasphemy. But these verses to a child of God, my soul, don't forget he's in the synagogue here at this particular time. I failed to say that by the time we come here. He's in the synagogue in Capernaum and the Jews that are in that synagogue are very, very much opposed to Jesus' claims that he is the bread of life. Now, <clears throat> I want to pause here on this for just a second and show you that God, because this is in our passage here, and we'll see it. We've already read it, but we're going to see it more clearly. Uh, it, It was predetermined by God that his son, Jesus, when he came, would have a people. He would have a people. See, the officialdom of Israel, they never got on board. It was the officialdom of Israel that crucified him. Uh, you'll hear discussion: did the Jews have any responsible in the death? And if you say that the Jews had responsible in the death of Jesus Christ, then you are labeled as anti-Semitic and you're definitely against the Jews. But if you deny it, then you're anti-Bible because it was these Jews that, uh, that uh, the authority of Israel that called out for his crucifixion and that demanded of Rome that they be allowed to crucify him or that Rome do, in fact, crucify Jesus Christ. But with that, all the opposition and all the hate and the official rejection, excuse me, the official rejection of Israel You know what I mean by the official. We're not talking about the common people that heard him gladly. We're not talking about those that believed and they could be found where he was out teaching and preaching and doing his work and following him. There were some that did believe. Officially, Israel did not believe. Not at all. But the point is that God predetermined that though the official position of Israel would be rejection and unbelief, that he would have a people that believed. Now, hold your place here and go to Ephesians 1. I want to show you something. Now, hang on, fasten your seatbelt here because some of you may just about get shaken out of your chair here for just a little bit. But look in Ephesians chapter 1 and look look down at verse 3. Ephesians, now hold your place. We'll be back in John 6 here in just a little bit. All right, so the Apostle Paul is writing, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He's talking about those that truly know Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Everything we have need of in this life is made available through Christ in, uh, in heavenly places in Christ. According as he hath chosen us, Now, let me slow down here. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us, uh, we don't use that word. We have to. It's right here. It's it's not a bad word. Uh, Bad theology has made it sound like a bad word. I think that's a good way to say it, don't you, Pastor? Well, say amen. Please help me out here. Okay. Uh, Bad theology has made predestinated sound like a bad word. It's not a bad word, forevermore. Look at verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So uh, those of us that are saved, this was predestinated by God. This was known by God before the foundation of the world, before there was an Adam. Before there was an Eve, before there was a fall, before there was a planet Earth, Hmm. having predestinated us, look down in verse eleven. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel. Of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. All right, now look up here just a second. So the Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesian church. The Apostle Paul, a true believer in Jesus Christ. Somebody say Amen. Yes. The church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus. If you read the letter then you can see that as far as the apostle could humanly know, it was made up of true believers in Jesus Christ. True believers, not a bunch of phony stuff. These were real believers in Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul is saying to them that they know Jesus Christ and they are assembled there as this is a part of God's plan and that their salvation was predetermined or their salvation was predestinated. Well, um, Brother Sam, that sounds an awful lot like extreme Calvinism to me. You know why people bring up Calvinism because what Calvin taught you don't have to find you won't find it in the Bible what Calvin taught you have to go to Calvin to find that and what Calvin taught basically when you boil it all down is that God created men and God predetermined this one is going to be saved this one is not going to be saved this one is going to go to heaven this one is going to go to hell so basically, when you take the, the, uh, uh, the true position of Calvinism, then basically here's, what, here's the conclusion you have to come to. God created some people to go to heaven. God created other people to go to hell. Now, that's why I say you've got to read Calvin and his ilk because you don't read that in the Bible. What we do here is understand that before there was a world, before the foundation of the world, God did predetermine that his eternal son would provide salvation for sin and that his son, listen to this, having uh, being the one who would provide salvation from sin, that his son would have a people, that is, people that would believe in him. It would be called his people, belong to him. I'm going to show you more about that in John 6 here in just a little bit. Well, uh, go back to John 6. Well, Brother Sam, uh, so it's predestinated that we be saved. Uh, Look at verse 37 of chapter 6. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. What do you think of that? All that the Father, so the, excuse me, the ones that are going to come to Jesus and believe in him are given him of the Father. They become his. Well, just who does, No, stay tuned, just who does the Father give to the Son? Ah, That's the right question right there. Look down at verse number 35 again. Jesus saith unto him, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. Watch this line. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Drop down to verse 40. Look at verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. Now, it says it in verse 35. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. The woman at the well. That thirst was taken care of once and for all when she drank the living water. Amen. That Okay, like that. And that happened when you got saved. That happened when I got saved. Now, look at verse 40. And uh, everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him, May have everlasting life. (laughs) Okay. So how does a person get everlasting life? How do they come to where they belong to Jesus? Believe on him. Verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Understand this. Please, you got to get this. If if I lost you back there a while ago, if you fell off here and all that predestination and predetermined before the foundation of the world, well, get back on here just a second because this is the answer to the puzzle that often rises in the mind, that God predetermined and God predestinated before the foundation of the world. Now, don't forget this. God has perfect foreknowledge. Uh, uh, About what? I said perfect foreknowledge. I mean, how far, uh, how far ahead, I said the eternal God has perfect foreknowledge. That's what he reveals about himself. Amen. Somebody put it this way. Did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to God? Yeah. Well, it should occur to us because it doesn't. God has absolute perfect foreknowledge. Now, look at me just a second. Somebody's going to say, I can't get my mind around that. Well, no. How could we? in this limited, finite body in which we live, in these pea brains that occupy our head. I didn't mean to be looking at anybody in particular. I'm just saying (laughs) that's the way it is. I mean, come on. We are very limited in our ability to know. We are very limited in our ability to understand As a matter of fact, God says, it doesn't matter what a man's IQ is, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. He may have a high IQ, may be very intelligent in many fields and many areas. But if he doesn't have the spirit of God, he doesn't know anything about God. Now, where were we here? Look at verse 47 again. Verily I say unto you, verily, truly, 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 truly. What does verily, verily mean? Truly, truly. Some of the younger generation say, well, I don't understand the Bible. I don't understand what it means. Verily, verily. Well, you do now. It means, let me tell you the truth. You know this is true. It's an emphasis upon the fact that a very true statement is about to be made. And here it is. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. You know what I have against Baptists? What's that? They just believed in order to be saved. All you got to do is believe in Jesus Christ, who he is. Well that's what it says. Yeah, it's gotta be more than that. That don't what it says. <laughs> okay, we gotta keep moving here. Look down at verse 28 and 29. Watch this. Then said they unto him, I, I know we're backing up, but this is not a smooth, easy, follow this point, now the next point, the next paragraph. This isn't one of them. That's not the way this is laid out. Verse 28, then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Remember this one? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that you believe on him with whom he, uh, believe on him whom he has sent. You want to do the work of God? Here's where you start. Believe on Jesus Christ. Amen. Does everybody listen to this? You want eternal life? It, it doesn't matter what you think. There's a way that seems right to a man, and the end there are the ways of death. Here's what Jesus himself said. This is the work. This is where you start. This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. Now, do you know who he predestinated to save? Those who believe. That's the message of the whole gospel of John. That's why you got whole denominations here, Southern Baptist seminaries that are being torn apart by the teaching of Calvinism, trying to make it sound like that God has created some to go to hell. That is so contrary to the message of this Bible, it is absolutely pathetic. And yet many of the hyper-Calvinists, from the names of John MacArthur to R.C. Sproul to a bunch of whole leadership and and evangelicalism, I'm just telling you right now, they are known as great minds and great theologians and grand intellectuals and if you press them down to the logical conclusion of the points of Calvinism then they have to believe and admit God creates some people to send them to hell. That is so far from what this book teaches. I got goosebumps right now. It's just infuriating how many people by end of this life there are churches, look at me just a second dead in a graveyard right now killed by the doctrine of Calvinism. Killed by this matter that we don't have to evangelize. Or if we do evangelize, how much heart do you have if you know I may be trying to lead somebody to the Lord. God's already predetermined for him to go to hell. Or this person said they were saved and they called on the Lord, but how do I know they're actually one of the elect? See, that's the kind of stuff that goes on as a result of that teaching. I'll tell you who it is that God predestinated is that everyone believe. And here's what God predestinated about hell is that everyone that does not believe will go there. That's predetermined. That's not something God's still trying to work out. Does everybody listen to this? That's not something God's trying to work out. Does everybody listen? If a person does not believe in Jesus Christ, then he'll go to hell. So, so I said, oh man, that just sounds so hard. Well then listen, let Jesus say it, shall we? Let's let him say it. For God, He tells Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on the son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the son is condemned. Already. It's so hard to understand. You can make it hard, I guess. I'm trying to figure out why that would be a noble thing to do. Believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah but you, you're, you're, I got accused of this. Southwestern that's preaching through the gospel of John, 2003 to 2006. This guy said, yeah, but so far in John 6, You've left out the main verse. I'm not leaving out any verse. Well, you have so far. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Verse 44. Look at this. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him. Stop right there. Now, why would a man want to leave that verse out? Well, it says if anybody's going to come to Jesus and believe in him, he has to be drawn to the Father. Well, so what's the problem? Of course he has to be drawn to the Father, by the Father. That's why Jesus said he would send the Holy Spirit. You know, when the Holy, Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth has come, you know what he's gonna do? He is gonna convince people, he's gonna convince the world of sin. You can't get saved if you deny your sin. You can't get saved if you're not willing To come clean before God about sin. And the Holy Spirit comes to convince us of our sin. And of righteousness. Not self-righteousness. Not man-made righteousness or an effort of that. No, His righteousness. And He has come to convince us of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. And there is a judgment to come. It doesn't matter how many people don't want to hear that. It doesn't matter how people say, There we go, playing the fear card, preaching about the judgment of God. Somebody better just let all the noise pass by and preach that God is a God of holiness, and God is a God that is righteous, and God is a God of judgment. There is a judgment coming. That's right. It doesn't matter who doesn't like it. It doesn't matter how hypersensitive the culture is. It doesn't matter how many popes have closed the Bible there or cut that page out and tiptoe around and say, and God, uh, one day, as the old preachers used to say, there'd be a judgment day, as the old preachers used to say. Blame it on the old preachers, you coward. <laughs> and tippy-toe, are we okay? Is everybody All right. You will be back next Sunday now. If this is going to mess up your giving, I can change this message for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Truth of the matter is, it is now like it's always been. John chapter 1, you can study it out yourself. John chapter 1 said that when Jesus came, listen to this. He is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Now, what do you think that means? You know what a lot of people want to say? Well, I know. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, you know, you know, I've heard it, and I, No, I've never been saved. But what about the people in Africa? Or what about the people in Bangladesh? Or somebody, somewhere that's never heard, like you and I have heard, the clear presentation of the gospel. Uh, 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 I just know that the scripture says that Jesus is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He is not concealed from anybody's soul. That's right. The creation knows there's a creator. That's right. I said God's intelligent creation knows there is a creator. Oh no, haven't you heard about evolution? I said intelligent people. No. <laughs> that there is a creator, yep. see. And he is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Hey. Now, you know, we're not going to see how all this, uh, we're not going to see what, we look through a glass darkly right now. There's a whole lot that we don't see real, real clearly, but that's clear. He's the light that lighteth every man that cometh hey. into the, Now, that means something. Yeah. And I imagine on the other side, we'll see it very clearly that everybody had an opportunity because God made himself known in them. Read Romans chapter 1. You'll see that. Because God made himself known to man, both in creation and the the creation of man himself, that God made himself known. And if there are people that say no and never say yes to God, it's because they suppress the knowledge that they did have. Read Romans chapter 1. It makes that very clear. So, So the Father... Draws him. Well, I got drawn to the Father. How many of you are saved? Let's, let's see your hand. You're saved. Well, you woke up one day and you know what you did? You said, you know, I feel a streak of goodness moving in me because I've always heard that there's good in everybody. And lo and behold, this goodness is coming out in me today. I'm going to go and get myself saved. I'm so good. Well, It doesn't happen that way. God confronts us with His Word. God confronts us with truth. We become aware of His holiness, our sinfulness, and we are made aware of that. And God, listen to this, He convinces us of our need of Him. Yeah. And how about we not worry about everybody all over the world right now, since we're not all over the world, it's just us kids right here. What about if somebody is not saved in this room right now? And the days pass, and the years pass, and... Pretty soon, they drop dead. There's no evidence that they ever called upon Jesus or they were killed or some malady happened to them and they die. Not, not everybody that dies is 85, 90, 100 years old. I've been a pastor long enough, not a lot of funerals for people way too young. Heartbreaking, heartbreaking stuff. Uh, two, two men killed in, the, in the Afghanistan and Iraq war. Hard stuff to do. Hard stuff to do. Well, this guy lives and he dies. Does anybody know if he ever, well, he went to church time or two. But did he ever trust Jesus? Did he ever call on Jesus? Well, he said, you know, I'm as good as anybody else. I haven't done anything that bad. I've never, and start listing the things they've never done. And besides that, he's a good guy. He's basically a good guy. Why would you worry about whether you're interested? You could kill anybody. And commit all kinds of moral perversion and stuff like that. We don't know. Now, hold on just a second. There's only one thing that sends a man to hell. It's not the fact that he did some perverted and twisted and demented things. That's not what sends a man to hell. Not believing in Jesus sends a man to hell. Amen. That's the clear message of the Word of God. So, what'd you do with Jesus? If you're here tonight and you say, well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm not a big religious man myself or a religious woman myself or a religious thinking person myself. Well, what are you going to do about eternity? Because yeah. God sent His Son, Jesus, for you, same as He did for that woman at the well. Yeah. And when you hear a message of salvation, when you hear the Word of God, when something happens within you, that's God. Yeah. That's God drawing you to Himself. It's God making you aware of the truth. You know what the Holy Spirit does? Bears witness to the truth. And you can hear somebody preaching what Jesus did and the way of salvation and that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, not by works of righteousness which we have done, not by the law which could never take away sin, not by the offerings of sacrifices and goats and the shedding of blood of animals. None of those things can remove sin, only Jesus Christ. Does everybody listen to this? Yeah. There's one God, one meeting between man and God. Jesus. And there are some that hear that and say, I need my sins forgiven. That's what happened to you that are saved. That's what happened to me as a boy. That's what happened to my wife when we were married uh, two years, one year already in the ministry and went through Bible college. Came out of a background, it was a little confusing and she had a real battle and struggle about her salvation till one night in the summer of the year of 1969, and W.E. Dowell was preaching at the, at the uh, oh, I can't remember the name of that camp, outside of Albuquerque right there. W.E. Dow was preaching. And while he was preaching, God spoke to her heart, and she knew she was not saved and she humbled herself to call upon Jesus and confess her sinfulness and her need of Christ and she trusted Jesus to be her sa- be saved excuse me you can go to church and be a preacher's wife and be lost yeah, yeah. there's a preacher friend of ours he- he's already gone to heaven Jimmy Johnson who was uh, preaching a revival in Port Collins Colorado and he came on a Monday night and he and his wife passed through. Always glad to see him. He passed it over on the other side of the range there. And uh, he was on his way to, what do he say, Nebraska or somewhere like that? I think it was Nebraska. And so they stopped that night had a good service. Got to visit with them a little bit. We loved them. Their kids came to Heartland and graduated there. And we love his family. And so uh, she is a, plays a harp, wonderful lady. They came back two nights later. They're passing back through. I got him preached that night and gave the invitation. She, they came and got my wife to deal with her. She got saved that night. Because she, she's made aware she never was saved. She'd been through the motions. She said some words, but she never really dealt with the conviction matter and the sin matter and never really humbled herself to receive the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. That's her testimony. We didn't pass judgment on. We didn't know. But she said, I have no, she, no reason to believe that I'm saved. And she got saved. Man, it was a glorious night, wasn't it? It was a wonderful thing. There are some people that God pulls at their heartstring and draws them to himself, and they believe, and they don't want to fight God. Boy, that's a losing battle. Uh, contend with God. <laughs> you think about it. Adam and Eve hiding from God. What are you doing? Hiding from God. Oh, sure. You're hiding from God. You can't hide from God. Jonah, where are you going? Running from God. You can't run fast enough or far enough. Isn't that right? That's right. Amen. What are you doing? I'm kicking against the prick, said Paul. Because see, before Saul ever got saved on the road to Damascus, God had already been dealing with his heart. Yeah. Yeah. He said, it's hard for you to kick against the prick. I'm trying to fight God off. The only thing you can fight him off with is refusal to believe. Yeah. Refusal to believe. If you're not saved and you leave this life without believing in Jesus, you will go to hell. Drop. I have no pleasure in saying that. That does not, that, that there's no delight in that. But that's the message of this Bible. Yeah. He draws them. Now, I want to show, I got to do this real fast. I want to show three things that are amazingly wonderful. I've got to do it faster than I want to do it, but I will. I will. Stay. Will you stay till I'm done? Here. Okay, then I won't hurry. uh, (laughs) No, I will. I'm, I'm going to go through this real quick. I want to show three wonderful things about those that belong to Jesus. When you believe in Jesus, you belong to Him. How do you know? The Father gives those who believe to the Son. I mean, don't make me go back and read the whole thing. But whoever comes to Jesus and believes in him, the Father gives them to the Son. This is the fruit of his death and burial and resurrection. And they are given. All right, now watch this. Three things. I'll do this real fast. First of all, if you look in chapter 6 and verse 37, look at this. And all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Look at this. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. (laughs) Those that will come to Jesus to believe in him, think about this, will not be an outcast to Jesus. Woman at the well, outcast of society. Never mind, they were also an unbelief, an outcast of society. She meets the Son of God at the well, and he didn't say, away from me. You come to Jesus, he will in no wise, come on, that just kind of puts an exclamation mark on it, doesn't it? He will in no wise cast them out. There's a guy in Southwest Baptist Church in Oklahoma City. He's done a lot of preaching over the years here and there. And I can remember the day that he came walking down the aisle. It was in the days of the hippie movement in the early 70s. And this dude was a hippie, about my height. I mean, his hair was down. It was so sweet. I mean, just all down his back and everything. And this guy came down the aisle. He worked on the truck docks for Time DC. And and he came walking down that aisle. He was brought to another guy from the truck dock that got saved himself. And this guy comes down there and he said, if God will save me, I want to be saved. I said, well, let's see if we can find a place. Nope, can't find any place where God would cast him out just because he did drugs, just because he'd been a part of the hippie movement, just because he'd wrecked a marriage uh, and all of that, just because he was wrecking and ruining his life on drugs and all of that. No, God never cast him out. Uh, Now, i got more stories going through my mind. You can shake a stick out. I'm thinking of Mike Burton. I'm thinking of Sammy Doherty. I'm thinking of people that have come down the aisle that said, no, 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 they've said before in their homes and at church. I've seen them grip the pew and walk out the door. And no, and yet when they came to humble themselves and ask Jesus to save them, not one of them did he cast out. You come to Jesus and believe, you will in no wise be cast out. You may be an outcast to the family. You may be an outcast to other uh, believers, Professing believers, you may be an outcast to people that you've abused or taken wrong advantage of, but you come to Jesus with that humble heart. He will in no wise cast you out. Oh, my soul. Woman at the well. Got her going through my mind. Woman taken in adultery. In the very act. The Pharisees and the scribes and the elders said, she's caught in the very act. You can feel the hate and the, the, the haughty attitude that they have. Jesus didn't even say anything. Started writing in the dirt. Looked up and nobody's there except a woman. Where are thine accusers? No man, Lord, neither do I condemn thee. Don't leave out that last line. Go and sin no more. If she had not in her heart dealt with her sin, he wouldn't have said that to her. Right. Mm-hmm. Mary Magdalene had seven devils. What a woman she turned out to be following Jesus. Look at verse 39 40. Look at this. I got to hurry. 39 40. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should. Next two words, please. Lose nothing. Well, you can be saved and lose it. I'm knocking doors. My partner, Cedro Castillo, he was there at Stillwater. Cedro was a Spaniard. And his name was Cedro Castillo. And Cedro and I are knocking doors, and I knock on this door, and this guy comes to the door, and I said, Hi, my name is Sam uh, Davison, and I'm the pastor right down the street here at Bible Baptist Church, I was in Stillwater then. This is my partner, Cedro, and we're just out here. And the guy just kind of leans against the door, side of the door, and he gets this kind of smirk on his face, and he said, So you're pastor of that church? Are you one of them Baptists who believes in once saved, always saved? With You know, he said it with a real attitude, and I said, Yes, I am. I sure am. And the fight was on. <laughs> oh, man, it just he started in on a whole bunch of stuff. He that endureth to the end shall be saved, which has to do with Israel in the tribulation period. It doesn't even have anything to do with your personal salvation or mine. And then, uh, and then the one in Galatians where he said, uh, you have fallen from grace. And all Paul is trying to do to the Galatians is say, If you have come to the point where you are depending upon the law, then you are not in Jesus Christ. And if you choose the law rather than the grace of God that brings salvation, which is by faith in Jesus Christ, if you choose the law over that, then you have fallen from grace. It did not mean they lost their salvation. They hadn't had it yet if they were still trusting in the law. I said it didn't mean they lost it. They didn't even have it if they were still trusting in the law. And if they choose that and turn their back on grace, they've fallen from grace, and they're going to go the way of the law and perish. Because the law condemns us, shows us our sinfulness, but it won't save us. The guy at the door, that thing, I hate to tell you, because I don't like preachers always look like the heroes, but I'm not the hero here. But I'm just telling you, the guy didn't have a chance because I just memorized the book of Jude. (laughs) <laughs> and I said oh so you can be saved and then lose it and then you need to get saved again you can lose it well yeah it's not this ridiculous thing about once saved always saved was, well isn't that something I said you know uh, Jude was the brother of the Lord and Jude said Jude the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of our Lord uh, to all the saints that are let's see he called them saints that are preserved in Jesus Christ He started that letter and said their actual preservation, staying saved, had to do with who they were in Jesus Christ. That's how he started the letter. Then he goes through a whole bunch of stuff there about false teaching, false prophets and everything. He comes down to the end. Here's how he ends the book. He said, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior. Amen be glory forever amen huh so he preserves us at the beginning of the letter at the end of the letter he is the one that is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before faultless well yeah faultless well none of us are without fault well after the judgment seat of christ that will be taken care of it can be said before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. sound like that actually that we are saved by the power of God. And like Peter said in 1 Peter 1.5, we're kept by the power of God. You're not kept saved by your ability and your performance and your ability to do right and not do wrong and not right and not wrong. That's not what keeps you saved. It was the power of God that saved you. You didn't do anything to save yourself except believe. And it's he that, it's his power that keeps you saved. So yeah, it's just simple. Damn, you just believe believing one saved dollar. Where'd you get that? I've had people to say, where'd you ever get that anyway? The Bible. <laughs> Reading the Bible. Well, I mean look right here. I, I, I've got to get off this point, but look right there. What verse was that? 40? 39, Where was I? And, and uh, that I should oh yeah. Uh, uh, lose nothing verse 39 and this is the father I sound like Joe Biden there for a little bit but I got to get squared away here and this is the father's will which has sent me that all of that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing Amen. but should raise it up again the last day and this is the will of him that sent me that everyone which seeth the son and believeth on him may have may have may have what's that next word well, what does everlasting mean? Well, it means it lasts up to a point. No, it doesn't. It means what it says. Everlasting. Why, why would people make that hard? He believe may have everlasting life. And then finally, look down at verse. Here's another thing. Those that believe in Jesus Christ, look at this. I'm doing this fast. You wouldn't believe how fast we're going to look. Look down at verse 39. I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. Look at the end of verse 40. And I will raise him up at the last day. Look in verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Look at verse 54. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh blood. Uh, my blood hath eternal, that's tomorrow night, and I will raise him up at the last day. You kind of getting the impression here that he's kind of impressing the resurrection on us? That, that not only d- does he not lose any, and in his priestly prayer in John 17, he thanks the Father that all that have been given to him, he has lost none. I said the record is clean for the past 2,000 years that everybody that truly came to Jesus, no one has been lost that he received. I I haven't gotten saved because I just don't know if I I could do it. I don't know if I'm good enough to do it. Well, no, you're not. You're not good enough to be saved, and I'm not either. Nobody in this room is deserving of salvation. By grace, through faith. Come on, it's the mercy of God. Not by works of righteousness which he's done, but according to his mercy saved us. And the assurance of your salvation is all in him, not in your performance, not in your ability. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No one will be cast away, and no one lost, and all, all will be resurrected. Everyone that comes to him in salvation, he says it five times here. He will raise them up at the last day. There is a resurrection coming. Verse 4, the Jews murmured. You know why they murmured? Because he was claiming to be the Son of God. And that he was. And they murmured. You can, you know, I don't, I don't know who, the shape of everybody. If you'd asked me about my wife, about her salvation, I know she struggled, but I probably would have said, well, yeah, I mean, it's a good night, it's just a good woman forevermore. But I can't know. You can't know somebody else's condition. Maybe somebody's here that has struggled like she did, like others you may know have. Maybe somebody's here that's never been saved. You must believe in Jesus to have everlasting life. There's no life apart from it. No, it doesn't matter how many hypocrites you've seen. It doesn't matter how many times somebody from a church disappointed you. None of that is the issue. I'm sorry for that. But what if people get the eye? Surely after 2,000 years of Christianity, haven't we learned that men are frail? And somebody wrote the song for a reason. Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Heaven and earth may pass away, but Jesus never fails. I can lie to you. I have the, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. I have the potential to lie. I have the potential to lie to my wife. We have the potential to deceive each other. The heart is evil. It's wicked. Jesus never fails. Well, I know somebody that claimed to be a Christian. Quit using that as a crutch. It won't help you at the great white throne judgment. You won't go to hell because they were a hypocrite. You'll go to hell because you said no to Jesus. He never fails you. I said he never fails you. Must believe. You must eat of that bread. Hope you'll come back tomorrow night. We're going to continue on with this passage, Father. You know who's in this room, dear God. You know who's here tonight that needs to partake of this bread. You know who's here tonight that while they've never denied that the gospel is true, they've never denied that Jesus existed, they've never denied that the Bible is the word of God, they've never out and out denied that God exists, but neither have they received the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For somebody here that's without Christ, I pray, O God, that there would be the persuasion in their own heart that I will die with my sin... And I will die in my sin if I don't trust Jesus to forgive me of my sin. I pray they would be saved tonight. I pray they would come and give the invitation and just say to Pastor Haggett or whoever might be standing here, can somebody help me? I want to be saved. And We'll take the Bible, man, woman, boy, girl, take the Bible and show them how they can know they have eternal life. Be ashamed to leave this life and meet God having had opportunities like this, to have sin forgiven and have everlasting life. Everlasting life. To be a child of God. To know Jesus and His authority in our life. I pray for believers that are here. I pray, oh God, that we would see we are a blessed people. There's not an excuse in the world we have for playing the Christian life. There's not an excuse we have for not giving Jesus our very best. There's no excuse for that. And I pray it you'd work in the hearts of your people. I pray also there be a purpose and determination to finish this chapter out the next two nights. Oh, you have so much to say. Might your Holy Spirit work and accomplish your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, shall we?